And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 193 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 193 strikeouts for Matt Kane in 2012. Does that season ring a bell for you? Boy, Matt Kane in 2012. You know what? We think about the perfect game, which we've talked about, <laughs> but he also started the All-Star game and was the winning pitcher that year. He also started... All three playoff clinching series victories for the Giants. Didn't get the win in all of them, but started all three of them. And, uh, you know, we kind of forget that, especially because, you know, two were, you know, Barry Zito had to win elimination games, but uh, so did so did Matt Cain. He had to pitch game five in Cincinnati. He had to pitch game seven in St. Louis. And, you know, gosh darn it, a good Giant. You know, I am not an uh, amateur or professional all-star-ologist, so I can't tell you what the greatest Giants all-star game is with any certainty. I don't know. You know, back when they used to take it seriously and Willie Mays would play nine innings, there was probably one all-star game that stands out where you had uh, Juan Marichal and Willie McCovey and Willie Mays all doing good things at the same time. I just can't imagine there's ever going to be a better All-Star game for the Giants than the 2012 All-Star game, if only because it gave them, you know, a home field advantage in the World Series, which is important. But then Melky Cabrera went bananas. You had uh, Justin Verlander giving up a preview uh, ball to, to Pablo Sandoval. It was just that kind of set the tone. And I don't know if 2012 at the championship happens without that All-Star game. It's just a funny little coincidence. Yeah, Matt Cain and uh, started. Buster Posey obviously caught. Pablo was at third. Melky was the MVP. And I'm pretty sure that when Bud Selig handed him the silver bat MVP trophy, he had already tested positive by that, by that point <laughs> and, and, and was in the sort of disciplinary realm of, you know, adjudicating all of that. So, yeah, that had to be a nice moment for Bud to hand over that trophy, knowing that this guy was about to get suspended for 50 games. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, let's see, that All-Star game was in Kansas City at Hoffman Stadium. And Tony LaRusso was the manager for the National League and he was not fired during the middle of it. As a longtime former Cubs fan, what are what's your memory of Brian Lahares at bat 
in that in that All Star game. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> wow, wow! Brian Lahare was an All Star. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking at the the rosters, and the rosters are always funny. Andrew McCutcheon came in to replace Melky Cabrera. I just love that that kismet right there. Dan Uglo was uh, the starter at second base. It's just a I love going through old All Star rosters. That was ten years ago. That feels like forty years ago. It feels like I was a toddler when that happened because it just it feels so long ago. Yeah, Joel Hanrahan, who let you in? <laughs> All right, Dickey pitching an inning. I mean, I, I can't remember when he won the Cy Young, but man, I missed that guy. Anyways, we're not here to talk about the 2012 All-Star game, which is a shame because, I don't know, clearly I could go on for a while, but we're here to talk about the Giants. And I don't know how much uh, content we can wring out of a, of a series win against the Royals. It was what the Giants should have done. They played well until they didn't. They lost a game. It was the defense again in the uh, conservatory with the lead pipe. Except you can't be mad at Brandon Crawford for for making an error. He gets one of those a year. He gets two of those a year. He's he's got he's got the hall pass. So I'm not sure how much we can wring out of it. Do you have any? Thoughts that can uh, fill, let's see, a few, about 27 minutes or so. Uh, Luis Gonzalez can throw a baseball harder than 44 miles per hour. <laughs> That's a good one. He was fantastic. He was. I can just imagine all these Royals fans going, who in the heck? Yeah, I mean, threw a runner out at the plate and, and was a pretty a significant play in a tight game. And then, uh, you know, throws out Bobby Witt at second base. The Royals make some really aggressive, bad aggressively de- decisions on the bases. Uh, you know, when Nicky Lopez scored a run against Tyler Rogers, they're down like 3 nothing at the time. And he's tagging up on a deep fly ball uh, from first base to second base. And he made it, but it wasn't 100% play. And I'm like, why, why is he doing that? And then he tries to score on the sacrifice fly, which was definitely not a 100% play. It was maybe more like a coin flip, especially because Austin Slater's got a pretty good arm. I'm like, why, why is he trying to score? They're down three runs. So I did not understand a lot of what the Royals did in that series. And frankly, they played you know a lot worse than the Giants did, obviously. But the Giants uh, didn't out-hit their, their one big mistake that they made. But yeah, Luis Gonzalez had a fabulous series on both uh, ends of, of the bat and with the arm, obviously. And, and I think that uh, the scouting reports are out. Uh, this guy can, uh, he'll throw a fastball on you the next time he's on the mound in addition to his uh, 40 mile an hour float ball. And we have talked about this uh, a couple times, but I, I just would like to plant my flag and say that he has passed the Lamont Wade Jr. threshold and he's not going back to the minors. I think it's the same thing as Wade last year. He was great. He got sent down because of the bureaucracy and what can you do? And then he came back up and it just, I think injuries will always be around and he'll have a place because there's always going to be someone going on the IL here and there. But in general, I don't think he's going back down. I think he's proven his lot in every facet of the game. I mean, he's not the, he doesn't have the greatest range. Everything else he does in the baseball field, pretty darn good. Yeah, and you know, you look at the metrics and they're not super impressive. It's not like he's, you know, really scalding the baseball, but he's just a line drive hitter. And you wonder if a player like him has a little bit more of a niche in the game today. But, you know, it, it was interesting because I think that the, the one thing that came out of the Royals series that was a discussion point, and you wrote about it, um, was, you know, small ball. And, and when does a team actually want to give away an out? Or at what point does bunting, you know, uh, become a part of a team's game, whether it's to try for a hit or, you know, literally to sacrifice? And, and I don't know if you have a thought or two that you wanted to share about that. 
Yeah, you know, I felt kind of like I was stepping back into uh, the the, the Wayback Machine and and feeling a blog post that is, you know, basically like, you know, here's why the the PlayStation 3 sucks or something like that. It just felt like an anachronism. Like I was writing something that everyone had. It was already settled science. But there was enough consternation on on Twitter and uh, different social media platforms to where it was worth the refresher that bunting is generally just if you're bunting specifically to get a runner over from second to third with nobody out or from first to second it's a bad idea that leads to fewer runs it's it's uh proven throughout the years uh i was not necessarily expecting to have it be so definitive when i looked back at 1968 which is one of the pitcher happiest years pitcher friendliest years in baseball history it was still a bad idea to give up an out for a run uh even in 1968 it just it leads to fewer runs and that's if you were if you had the magic ability to point at the runner on second and say you over to third base we're trading it out for you like if you could do that with 100% accuracy still a bad idea and then you bring in well there isn't 100% accuracy you're still screwing up 20 30% of the time when you're trying to bunt it's just bad and i get that it in the final the series finale the royals made it look elegant the royals made it look really good they had the exact same situation in which the giants didn't bunt the inning before they bunted they got the single run they won by the single run when it works man it looks just elegant it's just not going to do that all the time so i don't know that's my soapbox i don't think it's new ground i just you know it's if 10 percent of the subscribers think oh okay that makes sense uh or if five percent yell at me i guess that's that's what i'm going for is five percent yelling at me so i was on with the fp santangelo on the um the giants um late night show uh the other day and we were talking about bunting and basically he said that he thought the last couple innings you change when it's a when it's a, a tight game and you know you need to get a runner over that's when you know maybe there are more situations when the bunt makes sense when it makes sense to give away an out now there's no doubt that when you minimize innings by giving away outs you're minimizing the runs that you score over the long haul it doesn't work but when you look at it with a little more surgical precision in um, a tight game late does that change your thinking at all not necessarily. And I'll give you the example from that series finale where the, it was the bottom of the seventh for the Giants when they had a leadoff double. Mike Yastrzemski's up with nobody out. The idea here is that Mike Yastrzemski, the Giants' best hitter uh, possibly, would bunt the runner over, give up that out, and maybe the Giants would score run, one run. Now, I know that the butterfly effect is a thing, and you can't just predict that everything's going to happen exactly how it happened. The next batter up uh, hit a fly ball that would have been deep enough that gives the Giants a run. Then assume that the Royals do everything Everything that they did in the top of the eighth the exact same way. They get the leadoff double. They bunt. Well, then it's a 3-3 game, and there's still no guarantee that the Giants win that game. It could go into extra innings. It could go 13 innings. The Royals could win in the 13th inning. Now the Giants have a, a more tired bullpen, and they're thinking... Gosh, what if we had played for more runs in the seventh? Now, we know that it didn't work, so we're able to to play Monday morning uh, quarterback. You know, there were no guarantees that it wouldn't work either. So I just say do the thing that generally leads to more runs. More runs lead to wins. More runs let you play uh, a little bit looser with the bullpen and you're not pushing guys, not, not putting guys in higher leverage situations where they're throwing harder. I think it's just... In general, play for as many runs as you can score. That's that's how you win the old baseball game. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I'm going to end this argument or this discussion with my piece of advice, which I think applies universally, which is don't be overly dogmatic. Darn it. Yeah, um, that's that's about know, right. 
So, yes, I think that you're right. I think I agree with everything that you're saying. I don't think you necessarily have to be absolutist about it because I think there are situations where a bunt would work. But I'd have to go back and see how they were defending Yastrzemski. But with a runner at, at second base, obviously, they couldn't be shifted the way that they normally would be where the entire left side is vacant. I mean, you got to leave someone to cover third base so the runner doesn't walk there. And, you know, it, it's, it's one of those situations where actually I think – Leading off the inning, or or when Yastrzemski was on uh, up in the in the ninth, and they were defending him in a traditional way, I think that would have been a great time to put a bunt down. But of course, you're not giving away an out; you're bunting to try to get on base. And the Giants definitely, I think, prized that. You saw Brandon Belt uh, square around a bunt and try to put one down during that game. And and I think they they do see the value of having that sort of tool in your tool bag, but as a way of getting on base, not a way of giving up an out. But you know, I do think there are times when, especially. If you're up a run, you know, uh, maybe uh, it's the last of the eighth and the Giants are at home and you get a leadoff double and you've got a hitter up who's not your best hitter and you're up a run and you're looking to to really you know, cash in that, that second run and give your closer uh, a little more uh, wiggle room, then I think it's a really good play. And um, so, you know, I, I just try not to be absolutist about it. I'm glad you brought that up because I, in the article, I, I kind of, I tried to make uh, that point as well, maybe a little bit too late in the article, but in general, no, I love a good bunt. Like I love a good well-timed bunt. I, when Brandon Belt broke his hand uh, on the bunt and people said, well, he shouldn't be bunting. I hated that because I love it when Brandon Belt bunts and gets a hit. It's one of my favorite baseball joys in, in this, this crazy world. And I love the kind of bunt where it's a sacrifice, but the, the bunter is skilled enough to where he's thinking, I'm also going to beat this out. That was, I chose a Gregor Blanco example from the 2012 uh, World Series where advancing the runners did, did some good, uh, but also he was trying to beat it out and he did. That was the magic ball that stayed on the, the foul line. And uh, I, I, the Luis Gonzalez example against Clayton Kershaw. Man, if you're going up there as a left-handed batter and you've never seen Clayton Kershaw before and you've got two runners on base and you're looking on the on-deck circle and there's a right-handed hitter, I have no problems with him saying, I'm not going to make it. I, like, I'm going to screw up. I get, I'm going to move the line. I'm going to get this guy up with the bases loaded. What are we doing here? They're giving me that bunt. I'm just going to take it. And then he screwed up the bunt and got a single. So it's almost like you're thinking, oh, well, he shouldn't have bunted in the first place. No, I liked that idea. That was just a great awareness of, listen, the odds are not in my favor, but I bet you I can bunt and move that and keep that, that inning going. So I do think that there is a great time to bunt. I am not anti-bunt. Please, my detractors, don't label me as such. These are all foul lies. Um, but in general... <laughs> But in general, you know, it's if you're doing what the Royals did, I don't like that word. It's just, it's, it's rote. And especially if it's Mike Yastrzemski in that situation, I want to see him trying to put one in the water. That's going to help the Giants win more reliably than, than him bunting. But in general, a well-timed bunt, hey, lay it on. It's, uh, it's elegant when it works. You know, a nine-run lead, Mauricio Devon at the plate, bunt, bunt away. <laughs> hey, that's good content. And you know what? Uh, wow, that feels like a million years ago as well. That is it just... Does. Yeah. yeah, why is that? It does. It does feel it, like it was this a long has time been ago. A, yeah, this has been a long year because I was looking at um, the Giants scored their first run of the year on a bunch where it was Brandon Belt doing his thing. It was thrown down the line and Joey Bart motors around third for the first run of the season. And Wait, I who? watched that who, yesterday who? and I thought, wow, that was a million years ago. I, it, this has just been a, a little bit long of a seat. I don't know. Maybe it's perception. 
it does sort of throw me because, you know, we're back to going to the ballpark again. We're back to, you know, uh, attending games. And in my case, going on the road, uh, I'll be, I won't be in Pittsburgh, but I'll be in Atlanta. It was a shortened spring training too. So yeah, it, it, it is weird that it feels like it should be like, I don't know, like the beginning of September now when it's, uh, when we're only in mid-June. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, we've done this podcast <clears throat> for a couple of years now. I think we started, what, 2019? Is that when we started? Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, and I know your travel In the pattern. before times. In the before times. Wow, so innocent. But I know your travel patterns, and you, you generally don't go to Cincinnati. You generally don't go to Pittsburgh. And I have to ask about Pittsburgh. Is it just you're not expecting exciting baseball from the Pirates? Is it because the press box is uh, miserable to watch a baseball game for? Is it all of the above? Is it you hate French fries on sandwiches? Like, give me, give me your Pittsburgh spiel. I actually like Pittsburgh. I mean, you can go see the set of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in the, in the Heinz Center. I mean, that's delightful. You can go to the Andy Warhol Museum. You can go to the National Aviary. You can get French fries on a sandwich. Uh, you can have pierogies. Um, you wouldn't think that, you know, like um, Polish food is delicious, but, you know, it's not bad. You can go rent a kayak right past the uh, center field fence, and you can kayak on all three rivers. And it's delightful. If you like a little outdoor running, there's a beautiful running trail that takes you up the Allegheny. I, I enjoy that. You know, the one thing I don't like about Pittsburgh is uh, how high up the press box is because you're, I think, basically on, it's actually the high point in the in the Allegheny Mountains is um, the top of the park in PNC. And the other thing is um, yeah, there are a lot of rain delays. A lot. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the dugouts will flood. I remember Mike Murphy having to wear short, uh, baseball pants during the game one day. And I'm like, why is Murph wearing baseball pants? And it's because he had to wade into the dugout to get something. And, you know, he couldn't keep wearing his pants that were soaked through. So, yeah, there was like four feet of water. Uh, yeah, Mike Murphy got to wear baseball pants for an entire game. It was delightful. But I actually do like Pittsburgh. But one of the reasons I'm not going is if I'm writing live, we don't have as many visitors to the site on weekends. So I tend to try to do midweek series over weekend series. And, you know, I try to pick compelling opponents. And I think the Braves are much more compelling. They're potentially playoff opponent. Um, Jock Peterson's going to get his ring. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, little things here and there to that should hold some interest. And and, um, and honestly, the other thing is it, it frees me up. You know, if, if I'm not on a road series, I can go to a San Jose Giants game. I can go to Sacramento if they're in town, which they're not. They're in Tacoma right now. Or, you know, I can just work a, a little bit more on, on work the phones on a couple features that I'm doing. So it really does give me sort of the opportunity to step back and and try to, you know, use my energies in other ways. Since I don't have to write, obviously we don't have to write off of 
every game. So, so yeah, I think I'm going to end up and land at about 50 or four road games this year, which I think is a good number. So, um, hopefully that that's we're, we're uh, that's reflected in the coverage and we're giving people what they like. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. This is more for my edification. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just a dorky fan still at heart. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just curious about that. I do want to push back a little bit on the no compelling coverage uh, with the Pirates be, or no compelling storyline because I'm just going to read this list of names. Uh, <laughs> I Ryan know Reynolds, where this is going. <laughs> Tyler Heineman, Travis or, or Tyler Beatty, uh, Jose Quintana, Heath Hembry, Chris Stratton. You've got David Bednar, whose brother is a, a Giants prospect. I mean, this is basically Giants uh, Northeast, right? It kind of is. <laughs> I, I, you'll have to tell me what the numbers will be on that Tyler Heineman feature that I'll, I'll be writing. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think it's going to break site records. I don't. Mean, uh, I shouldn't say that. I don't mean to be sarcastic. I think Tyler Heineman very specifically, like he brings he more than because I love playing the backup catcher game and I love going like Yamid Hod and you know throwing out for whatever reason backup catchers or are just kind of uh, catchers who pass through are quality material if to, to prove your bona fides as a Giants observer, Giants fan. But Tyler Heineman was in that that sweet spot of just bizarre. The world was collapsing around us. Buster Posey is the first time he's not there as a Giants catcher in, in a decade. You have just all these things. Your brain is swirling and then you have to have opinions on Tyler Heineman. It's, he's going to be for a certain group of people. Just always, he's going to trigger so many memories. And for me, he's that guy. I mean, who could forget all those catcher interference calls? They're, they're burned into my brain as well. <laughs> it was, yeah. And then you're you're sitting there wondering because it's it's 2020 and it's a weird mutant season and you're trying to wonder if you should be even caring about baseball, if if they should be even playing baseball. And then you have to have opinions on Tyler Heineman. It's just, it's a funny mental uh, place to go back to. So, yeah, I guess I guess to, to summarize, though, I, I like Pittsburgh, the city. I think the ballpark is beautiful. When we had our franchise draft, uh, when we were, you know, looking for things to write about during the lockout, I drafted PNC Park. That was the park that I took. And I plopped it down in San Diego. I really think that I did very, very well in the draft. I'm very happy with my <laughs> that's, team. That's outstanding. I think that's a good combo. My franchise player is Shohei Otani. I think I did pretty well there. And uh, I, Zach Grinke is my uh, general manager because why not? I got wacky. So, yeah, I would go see a game in San Diego at PNC Park. I would go see a game at Petco Park. But, yeah, Pittsburgh, nice town. I like Pittsburgh. Being that I am spoiled in a live an area that maybe has the best weather on the planet, I forget that other places have weather. And if you had to pick the worst baseball weather for your purposes, for a traveling baseball writer who is used to a temperate climate, what is the worst baseball weather? You can include the ballpark if it's an open air ballpark. Uh, you can just go outside if you're going to say Miami. So what's the worst weather for a, a baseball writer? Wow. Um, you know, the first thing I think of is probably heat and humidity. So you're talking about the older ballparks. Now they've got, you know, uh, windows that roll up and, and they've got air conditioning and they're much nicer than they used to be. But I remember going to cover a game at the Vet in Philadelphia on a day when it was like 98 degrees with 98% humidity and they could not make water ice fast enough for, <laughs> for people. Uh, hope you get that reference. And there was one ceiling fan on a wood paneled ceiling and it was just the blades were barely moving. It was like, it was almost a joke. It was mocking you. It was moving so slowly. And I just remember thinking, I'm miserable right now. It is so hot. So 
you know, that's kind of what I think of is, is probably the, the ballparks where, um, you know, it's just sweltering. And we don't get that, obviously. I, uh, there's been sometimes I'll come back from, you know, Arizona, uh, which is a different kind of heat. It's dry heat, you know, or St. Louis or some someplace like that. And I'll get off the plane at SFO and I'll just walk onto the jet bridge and it'll be like, ah, oh, it's so cool. It's so nice. I'm glad to be home. But uh, yeah, the, the rain delays are the toughest thing, especially if you try to book a flight out after the game, because, you know, you could get screwed by a rain delay. You could get screwed by a rain delay the previous day that makes the getaway day a doubleheader. That's probably the toughest one. And, and on that score, Pittsburgh, I've never had as many rain delays as, as I have in Pittsburgh. It just seems like that's that's where you you just you know going in there's going to be a clock and it's going to be what is it going to be two hours and forty five minutes combined rain delays four hours rain delays twenty five minutes rain delay you know there's going to be something there's going to be some delay. I became somewhat infamous in the SB Nation uh, Slack because I admitted when I was 35, 36 years old that I had never really experienced humidity, that I was just sheltered so much. And I went to school in Oregon and I, I have traveled, but it was, you know, I've been to Sweden, I've been to uh, the Soviet Union, I've been to Japan, I've been to Italy, but at the time, none of it was humid. I just had never experienced humidity. And everyone who, you know, had actually lived a normal life just could not believe that. And it was part of the reason why I went to Miami to cover the All-Star game. I was going to go anyway, but everyone made sure, very sure that I went. And I remember walking to the ballpark, um, which was pretty far from my hotel, and it was 90 degrees. It was not uh, one of those 100, 110 degree days with humidity. And I got it. I got it. I understood 90 degrees with humidity is the devil's work. And I just don't understand how people live like that. And I will say, when I met up with Ted Berg, uh, the great writer, uh, uh, Mets partisan, he was maybe the sweatiest man I have ever seen. <laughs> and I just, I uh, I don't know. I just, I don't understand humidity. And I'm going to come out on this podcast bravely against humidity. Wow, sweatiest man you've ever seen, and you've seen Tyler Walker pitch. I've seen Tyler. He was he was that poor guy who had a, a white shirt on. This was also the famous road trip where he drank that uh, that Cuban coffee that's meant to be shared. Do you know that story? Oh no! Did, where did he go to Versailles? I don't know, but there's, so there's this Cuban coffee that is, uh, it's, they put it in a cup and they give you like all these little cups and it's, it's basically like hyper espresso and you're supposed to share it and you're supposed to sip like a thimble full and Ted Berg just, you know, go, 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 go. And, and then people told him and he's, he happens to be one of those guys that drinks 15 cups a day. So he wasn't phased by it, but apparently Miami Twitter found out about it and it was a big thing for a day and, but he survived and he's still uh he still has a lot of fun telling that story but when you're in miami be careful the coffee if they give you extra cups there's a reason for it oh and it is like syrup i mean it's it's uh it's not just the caffeine content it is like i mean he probably was he, he might have made himself a, a diabetic that day if he drank that much <laughs> because there's so so much sugar in that coffee i once asked for one and i said no sugar please and they looked at me like no no, no you, you have to you have to have it you have to have like like a ton of sugar in here too. That's the way we drink it. So, okay, I'll try it once. You remember that uh, Simpsons where a poo stays up for sixty hours straight, and he, that he thinks he's a hummingbird? Oh wow! No, I don't remember that one. It's the one with James Woods as the, and so James Woods is like, I've been, I'm trying to learn how to be a, a quick uh, march employee. So uh, I watched the security tapes of that time you stayed up seventy hours straight. Anyways, that's what I feel like I would be if I drank one of those coffees. 
Mm, well, it is delightful. I look outside my window and we have lots of hummingbirds floating around in all different colors and they are they are a marvel and I I do think maybe they maybe they find caffeine somewhere. They must. <laughs> all right. I think you're under the weather, so I think this is a good place to end it. Uh I don't want to uh make you collapse uh, under weight of podcasting. Um are you you feeling okay? Uh you feeling okay after all that? Yeah, tested negative. So I think I've just got like, do cold still exist? I think maybe. Yeah, it is. I was telling you, <clears throat> telling you before we went on, but I had a cold in March or so that the kid brought home from school. It, it kicked the entire family's butt. Just we have very, our washboard abs of the immune system are now flabby immune system guts. And when you get a cold for the first time, man, it leveled us and we have pretty strong immune systems over here. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll rally. I'm just glad that, uh, you know, I'm not spreading anything worse than, than this. And I'll, I'll mask up everywhere I go and be safe. And all of our listeners should as well. All right. Sage advice. This has been episode 193 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. Uh, let me take a quick look at the schedule. Be back on Monday. That might be a travel day. We'll have to hash that out, the logistics of that. But we will be back uh, probably on Monday to talk about what happened against Giants Northeast in Pittsburgh. And we will see you then. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.